We'll be asking for your comments, and are right now, on the telephone at 578-1111. Hello, you're on the air. Hi, yeah, I really liked it a lot. Uh-huh. Did you listen all week? Yeah, I did. Uh-huh. And I thought this was really good. I think it's different, and it's better than music. Well, bless your heart. Thank you, and we'll see you on Monday. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hello, you're on the air. Hi, Ronnie. Hi. Uh, I love the program, but I wish it was on earlier. Oh, why? Uh, my poor husband arrived home at 5.30, and he's not allowed to speak for 15 minutes. <laughs> well, there may be days that that's a good thing. <laughs> we may be actually helping. Well, <laughs> thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Hello, you're on the air. Uh, I just want to tell you I enjoyed your zero hour very much, and I hope you keep it up. Well, thank you very much. Where are you calling from? Parma. Thank you for calling. You're well, welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Because if I sold a show in Phoenix, I wasn't about to help them, or not that I wouldn't have, but as a practical matter, help them with local advertisers. And, you know, a radio station would have their list of advertisers and or they knew who they thought would be a good sponsor of the show. And I think most of the time they were sponsored as opposed to spot advertisers brought to you by such a car dealer or whatever. Sears came into it. I think we may have helped with Sears. I think that they became kind of a corporate entity. And so that they may have picked up certain of the sponsorship and then left some local spots in there. But that was a little later in the thing. Once Jay Colo sold the show to various radio stations, it was generally up to those stations to sell the show to sponsors. In New York, the Zero Hour was running on WRVR 106.7 FM. WRVR was initially a public radio station owned and operated by the Riverside Church in New York. It began broadcasting New Year's Day 1961. The Riverside Church, located in Morningside Heights, is an interdenominational, interracial, and international church, and has long been the center of activism and social justice. WRVR was the first station to win a Peabody for its entire programming, in part for its documentary coverage of the Civil Rights Movement in Birmingham in 1963. In addition to religious and philosophical discussions with Riverside clergy and theologians, WRVR programming included addresses by political and cultural leaders like Indira Gandhi, Aldous Huxley, John F. Kennedy, and Margaret Mead. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his Beyond Vietnam speech at the Riverside Church over WRVR-FM on April 4, 1967. The station also featured the heralded weekly program Just Jazz with Ed Beach. In September 1971, WRVR went commercial and shifted to a news format, with the exception of Just Jazz, which continued until 1973. By then, WRVR was experimenting with radio drama in both Golden Age and New Time productions. On September 4, 1973, part two of the Zero Hour's Wife of the Red-Haired Man took to the air. Are you safe? The time is now on the Hollywood Radio Theater. This is The Zero Hour.
the Hollywood Radio Theater. Every day at this time, Monday through Friday, a J.M. Colas Enterprises production, the Hollywood Radio Theater presents an unusual tale of mystery and suspense. Every week, Monday through Friday, the Hollywood Radio Theater presents... I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Bill S. Ballinger's best-selling novel of the pursuit of a damned couple. The Wife of the Red-Haired Man. Starring Patty Dugaston. John Astor. And Howard Duff. Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour. The gentleman's name was Hugh Rohan. He had a head of red hair, a former wife named Mercedes, and a gun. Believing him a casualty of the Vietnam War, his wife Mercedes had divorced him and married another chap named Turner. Seven years later, enter Mr. Hugh Rohan with his red hair and his gun. He discovers that his young and former wife is suffering a bitterly unhappy marriage, and also as fate would have it, had not informed Mr. Turner of her previous marriage. The not always eternal but frequently violent triangle... Former husband Rohan faces off with present husband Turner, and in a panic, a 32 caliber slug eliminates the Turner side of the triangle. Best we mention here that there was evidence Rohan had been a convict, although the red-haired gentleman is somewhat loath to discuss it. Mercedes Turner, with Hugh, flees the premises. With her money and jewelry, she plans to purchase as many days of freedom as possible. Enter now two gentlemen, one named Scores of Homicide, the other, Williams of the 19th Precinct. It is Mr. Williams, with a streak of the relentless, who begins a pursuit of the red-haired Hugh Rohan, although at first he's not even aware that Rohan exists. In a moment, he'll try to identify a phantom. But first, this message. Each weeknight at 7.30, WRVR looks ahead to 1947. It's a nostalgic look at radio entertainment the way it used to be. And now RVR announces a new schedule of old-time radio programs. On Mondays, Sherlock Holmes is back by popular demand. The Lone Ranger continues to ride through every Tuesday along with his Indian companion, Tanto. On Wednesdays, it's The Shadow. That invincible crime fighter with his special powers. Meanwhile, the Green Hornet buzzes on to Thursday to keep crime in its place, and the weekends with the dramas full of adventure and intrigue on the clock. So listen to RVR each weeknight at 7.30. Radio entertainment the way it used to be is the way it is now. 
as RBR presents original old-time drama radio programs. Because we didn't have a photograph of Mercedes Turner, scores of homicide interviewed people who knew the woman, and from their descriptions produced a police artist drawing of her. By nightfall, this picture would be circulated to airlines, bus depots, train stations, shipping agents, everywhere where Mercedes Turner might be seen. Meanwhile, I began to check into the missing woman's background, searching for some clue to her whereabouts. Mercedes Turner's maiden name was Clinton. Her home had been in Mountain Forge, Connecticut. I drove up there. The police station was across the street from the railroad depot. I parked and went inside. It's not a state officer. I needed cooperation from the local police. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm uh, looking for Chief Novak. Speaking to him. You the officer called me from New York? Williams, that's right. Long did it take you? Less than three hours. Too close. We folks here feel about city cops. <laughs> well, I didn't realize I was in a popularity contest. Uh, Mercedes Turner, you said on the phone. Yes. You know her? Yeah. And she was a little girl. Name was Clinton before she was married. What was she like? Nice kid. Real pretty, lively, blonde hair, big blue eyes. You ever get in any trouble around here? Nope. Caution her once in a while against speeding and make too fast. Lyman Clinton, her dad, gave her a little yellow car when she first went away to school. Mm-hmm. Drove it all over. Real fast sometimes. Uh, you know kids. Yeah. Uh, Clinton's are pretty well off. Uh, don't worry where the next meal's coming from. Yeah. Old family in these parts? Tolerable. Four or five generations. <laughs> Was uh, Mercedes an only child? Yeah. Light of Lyman's eye. Mighty proud of her. Maybe a mite too proud. How's that? I sort of always figured he knew what was best. Nothing good enough for her, in Lyman's view, regardless what she wanted. You believe she uh, shot her own husband? I don't know. What's your opinion? If she wanted too bad enough, she might have. Except one thing don't line up. What I know about Mercedes. What's that? Well, she was brung up proper. Knows right and wrong. And maybe she got mad on blazes. Even had good enough reason to shoot her husband. But if she did it, she'd take a medicine. She'd walk in and hand you the gun. Well, you see. You see what I mean when you meet a daddy. We left Hugh's terrible little room hand in hand, like young lovers off on an adventure. I knew we had to get out of the city, and so did Hugh. We took a bus across the river to Jersey City and got off on a bleak street lined with used car lots, garages, auto parts stores, crawling and sprawling beside one another. We bought an afternoon newspaper, ducked into a shabby little diner and ordered coffee. Here it is, see? They found him. Yes. But they don't know about you. They're looking for a woman alone. They're looking for me. Mercy, after I left last night... I took every picture of myself I could find and Albert's gun and threw them away. Ah, that's good. Now, 
Got to get away from here. Where should we go? Anywhere. It doesn't matter. Just leave before they find out about me. Yes. I thought we'd buy a car. That's that's good. That's good. The police will expect you to take a plane or a bus or whatever. All right. Wait for me. I'll get a car. Be careful. Be very careful. Radio legend Mary Jane Croft, who was also the wife of Elliot Lewis, was featured in this episode. Years later, she spoke to Spurvac about her radio career and late husband. I don't ever remember. I think the first job I ever got was... Do you remember doing Screen Guild yes. when Bobby Lee and Jimmy O'Neill, they conducted... Bob Lee is a big famous writer now, as you all know. But he and Jim O'Neill conducted ad-libs. In other words, they didn't have crowd records at that time. So we all sat in chairs... Then the director would cue Bob, and then Bob would have everyone, everybody would talk and do yes. rhubarb and walla walla and all that stuff. You weren't allowed to say walla walla. No, <laughs> I don't remember what we said. <laughs> what did you but say? We got said, thrown out if you said walla walla. Yeah. yeah, we had to really talk. We just worked constantly, didn't we? Yes, we did. And Elliot Lewis was he Elliot been Lewis just an inspired other... director yes, as well a... as a perfectly... Mm-hmm. Wonderful oh, yeah. actor, yes. but he was a wonderful, a magnificent director. Mm-hmm. Very easy. Yes. So maybe just the opposite of a of a Bill Robeson approach. Well, he was quiet, mm-hmm. wasn't he? No, quiet, he got things done. I found a box that Elliot had with little cards and all alphabetized. What it was? This is how orderly he was. Starting in 1937, I'm cherishing this box of cards. It had every show he did. What it paid, $3 yes. an yes. hour. That's right, $5. Calling all cars was one of them. What Some of the early ones. Yes, right. God, I can't Tapestries remember. Tapestries of life. Yeah, all of these a, things. That and it did. goes all the way through, and every week he totaled it up. But the thing that fascinated me was the names of all these shows and how much they pay. Yes, right. $3 and a half. That's right. Chief Novak and I had lunch, and then I called New York and talked to scores. You got any all-points bulletin out on Mercedes Turner with her description, and was in the tedious business of checking out everywhere she might have gone. Friends, neighbors, stores, everything. So far, he'd come up empty. The woman had simply disappeared. I was approaching the puzzle from the other direction, trying to find a connecting thread from her earlier days. Chief Novak drove me out to her father's house. Big old farmhouse set back from the road by a twisting gravel drive. Huge trees towered over the house like great leafy umbrellas. Come in. Lyman Clinton, the woman's father, was tall and thin, a bit stooped. He had a long, thin face with creases running from cheek to nose. Snow-white hair. Led Novak and me into a study off the big living room. He motioned us to a couple of worn, shiny leather chairs and seated himself behind an old-fashioned roll-top desk. It was a genteel, patrician background for a woman I was beginning to suspect of murder. Chief Novak says you want to talk about my daughter. That's right, Mr. Clinton. Now, before we get started, if I did know anything, I doubt I'd tell you. Furthermore, I'll never believe she shot Albert Turner. Does she have any reason to shoot him? None I know about. 
Anyone else want to shoot him? No. You're hesitating. Just thinking. Would uh, Mrs. Clinton have any information? Quite sure she wouldn't. Ms. Clinton's uh, gone now. Buried better than five years. I'm sorry, I didn't realize. Uh, when was the last time you saw your daughter? A couple of weeks ago. Dinner one night in the city. You see her often? My daughter and I are very close. Sometimes she comes up here or else I... I go to New York. When did she marry Albert Turner? A little over a year ago. You have a picture of her? No. Not even a wedding picture? You heard me. I don't like pictures. Well, there's one over there. Mrs. Clinton? Yes. That's the exception. And if you had a picture of Mercedes, you wouldn't give it to me anyway, would you? <clears throat> uh, Williams, I think maybe we uh, better move along. Mm -hmm. All right. <laughs> Thanks for your time, Mr. Clinton. It was while I was buying the car that the questions began gnawing at me. Questions about Hugh. When the war in Vietnam began, Hugh had been one of the first to be drafted. He shipped out very soon after his induction and then... Nothing. No word. No trace. Nothing. The Red Cross helped me, but all we could learn was that he was missing. Missing in action, they said. And then, as years went by, presumed dead. But I waited. And I felt myself drying up, aging without him. Is this the car? It's not bad. This is it. What name did you use? Mrs. Walter Brewer, Trenton, New Jersey. Slide over. I'll drive. Do you have a license? You've been away a long time. Yours isn't good now either. Has your right name on it. What's the difference? If we're stopped, that's it for both of us. Yes. Nice to be driving a car again. <laughs> I didn't think it would happen. Away. Far, far away. You and me, Mercy. Just the way it used to be. Yes. Just the way it used to be. After we left Mercedes Turner's father, Chief Novak had someone else he thought I should see. A woman, Clara Goldwater been close to Mercedes in high school. Clara was married now, wife of a foundry worker in Mountain Forge. I'll wait here. Their home was a squatting, shapeless bungalow in a shabby, genteel sort of neighborhood. You've seen a million places like it. Battles? Yes. You used to be Clara Goldwater, a friend of Mercedes Clinton? Oh, yes. My name is Williams, New York Police. Chief Novak is out in my car. May I come in? Oh, yes, come in. Hush, hush, Selma. <laughs> this time of day, she's cranky. Sit down, please. Thank you. Shh. 
What do you want? A little information about Mercedes Clinton Turner. Whatever for? She's disappeared. Just gone? Something like that. Oh, my goodness. I know you're busy. This won't take long. When did you last see Mercedes? Oh, not in ages. Years. In high school. Then we sort of drifted apart. But you remember her well. Oh, yes. Such a beauty. Mm. <laughs> Never say that about me. I was the plain one. But we were real close friends, at least for a while. And then she went her way, and I went mine. Settled down here. Uh, you ever meet her husband? Albert Turner? What kind of man is he? Quiet, when I saw him. Quiet, kind of. A kind that broods over things? Did he have something to brood over? Might have. You think Mercy's in trouble? Real trouble? Yes. She's in a great deal of trouble. Enough to make me break my word? Mrs. Battles, if you know anything at all, you should tell me. Oh, Mercy made me swear. Really, swear on the Bible. I'd never tell a soul. Even after Daddy found out about it and broke it up. Yes? Uh, well, Mercy was married before. Did Albert Turner know that? Well, after it was over, after her daddy broke it up, Mercy wouldn't talk about it, not a word. So I don't suppose Albert Turner did know about it. How long ago did this happen? Oh, long, long ago. Years ago, it seems. Back when the Vietnam War began, back then. They ran away to get married. I was supposed to be a witness, but I couldn't go at the last minute, and they went ahead and did it anyhow. Who was the man? Who'd she marry? A boy she met in Prester. When she was going to school there? Must have been so long ago. I remember he was poor. And they were both awful young and so much in love. They were going to keep it a secret. Uh, what was the boy's name? His last name was Rohan. Can't recall his first name. Uh, what a pretty picture they made. In what way? Well, she was so blonde, and he had red hair, flaming red hair, like he was on fire. Hockey fans, when was the last time you saw Gordie Howe play against Bobby Hull? Now you can see hockey's two greatest superstars in action once again on Tuesday night, September 25, at 7.30 p.m. in Madison Square Garden. The New York Golden Blades, the newest professional hockey team in town, brings you this professional hockey spectacular. In September of 1973, WRVR was advertising a World Hockey Association exhibition matchup, which featured legends Gordie Howe and Bobby Hull. The New York Raiders, and later the Golden Blades, were intended to be the upstart WHA's flagship franchise. They were, however, unable to compete with the NHL's New York Rangers and the expansion New York Islanders. After just two seasons, the Golden Blades moved to San Diego. The WHA folded after eight years in 1979 with four teams, the Edmonton Oilers, Hartford Whalers, Quebec Nordiques, and Winnipeg Jets joining the NHL. Hugh drove carefully, partly because he wasn't used to being behind a wheel, and partly so he wouldn't do anything to make a policeman stop us. We drove south without even discussing why. I found myself staring at him. At the flaming red hair. The boyish face. Tired now. Worn. He must have felt me staring at him because he shifted in the seat to look at me. 
That's when I saw that he was still carrying the gun in his jacket pocket. Hugh? Yeah? Should you keep the gun? Shouldn't you get rid of it? Uh, no, I... I have to keep it. We'll see. See what? Well, if, uh, if anything happens, if anyone tries to stop us, break us up now that we've found each other again, I may need to use it. Because there's nothing in this world can take... can take you away from me again. Hey, remember Rehoboth Beach? Yes, of course I remember. That's where we're going. A second honeymoon, Mercy. It's winter. Will anything be open? <laughs> we don't need more than a room. And the police won't look for us there. All the police are watching for right now is a single woman. They don't know about the car, or the jersey plates in the car, or about me. We're going to have our second honeymoon, Mercy. According to Clara Battles, Mercedes Turner had met her first husband while she was a student at the Bentley Collegiate Institute in Preston. I drove up there and then called New York to tell Scores what I'd gotten. So she may not be alone, huh? She could be traveling with this red-haired guy, Rohan. I suspect that's true. Otherwise, why did she run? Well, panic. After spending the night with her dead husband? This isn't a lady who panics. Okay, Will. I'll add him to the APB. Right. I'll be back late tonight or uh, first thing in the morning. Yeah, we'll see you then. Oh, Will. Yeah. Hold up a minute. Something just came in. Hey, what do you know? The lady went to her bank this morning, closed her account, and took a bunch of stuff from her safe deposit box. Well, it just goes to prove you can't live on love alone. See you. I pride myself on my ability as a police officer. I like my job, and I think I do it well. I've learned in the years I've been at it that a good cop gets a fix on a suspect, begins to empathize with the suspect, and pretty soon it's as though the person you're looking for was carrying a homing device. You begin to zero in on him. I began to get a feeling about the red-haired man. The Preston Town Constable steered me to a place called the Snack Bar, where the Bentley girls hang out after classes. It's run by a nice old man, Clement Beatty. How long we been here? Oh, my, we've had the place for years. You recall a young fellow hung around here back before the war? Uh, his name was Rohan. A red-haired boy? That's him. Oh, yes, yes. You was with us for about a school year. Worked here in the shop for me and the missus. Why'd you want to know? I'm trying to locate him. Where's his family live? Well, seems to me out west someplace, or middle west, maybe. Hmm. How'd he happen to work for you? Well, he was planning to go to Annexter College up in Royal. Came down here to see about a job. Mother and me leave a standing invitation, you know, register as office up there for a deserving boy to help us out. Why was he so far from home? He wanted to be a doctor, and Annexter's one of the best pre-med schools in the country, you know. Yeah. You recall a girl at Bentley about that time, Mercedes Clinton, pretty, with blonde hair? She was very close to you. Oh, yeah, sure. Was that her name, Mercedes? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, after Hugh closed the shop, the two of them used to sit back there and talk to all hours. Oh? Uh, you know, young kids in love. Yeah, I recall one night I was cleaning up in the kitchen, couldn't help overhearing them. They were making plans, you know, for the future, how he was going to be a doctor. They were going to have a family. How did it all come out? Not very well, I'm afraid. 
We rented a tiny cabin at Rehoboth Beach, close by the water. And that night we slept in each other's arms for the first time since you'd gone off to war. I was awakened later, I don't know what time it was, by the sound of a sudden storm. And lying there, I was aware that Hugh was also awake. Mercy? Yes, dear. Why'd you marry Turner? Did you love him? No. Not ever. I married him because... I don't know. You didn't love him? Never. In fact, for the last few months, I've hated him. and wondered how to get away. But you married him. Yes, dear, I married him. Because there no longer was you, and all I wanted from life was to be protected. I didn't want love or pain anymore. Mercy? Yes, dear? He was right, you know. Your husband was right. About what? I was a convict. I am a convict. I escaped from prison last week. A drama unfolds every day on WRVR as Arthur Albert presents Connections. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Quaxer Fortune has a cousin in the Bronx. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. And you do have a friend at Chase Manhattan. But you have a real chum in Arthur Albert, the only three-foot-seven-inch telephone talk show host in New York who doesn't mind being Jewish. You simply mustn't miss Connections every weekday morning at 11, because when you do, Arthur misses you. Three-foot-seven-inch people are sensitive, and even though Arthur is paranoid and occasionally forgets what he's talking about, his program is the stuff that life is made of. And having ended a sentence in a preposition, I rest my case. Connections is heard weekdays at 11 a.m. on WRVR. This offer is void where prohibited, including certain parts of Boise, Idaho. Que pasa? What's happening? My name is Felipe Luciano. We got a program called Latin Roots every Sunday from 1 to 6. Why don't you tune into us and hear some of the baddest funk in the United States? Que viva la música. Tomorrow at this time, rest your eyes. And listen here to this week's continuing study in suspense, The Wife of the Red-Haired Man. I'm Rod Serling, and this is The Zero Hour. You've been listening to the Hollywood Radio Theater's presentation of The Zero Hour. Heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. This week, in Bill S. Ballinger's The Wife of the Red-Haired Man, Patty Duke Aston is Mercedes, John Aston is Rohan, and Howard Duff is Detective Williams. Featured in the cast are Harold Gould as Detective Scores, Carl Swenson as Novak, Tyler McVeigh as Clinton, Mary Jane Croft as Clara, and Jerry Hausner as Beatty. 
Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Jack Myers is the executive producer and Karen Lee Cohen, associate producer. Music conducted and composed by Stanley D. Hoffman. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferranti and Teicher and is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. This has been a J.M. Colas Enterprises production. Hugh Douglas speaking. Tune in tomorrow and once again, rest your eyes and listen here to The Zero Hour. Jay here, and I'm What's Going On Here from midnight to 6 a.m. Jazz Bar Request is the name of the gig, and I'm here to fill your jazz request at 106.7 FM. That's RVR, your jazz and talk station.